Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Michiana's sports leader, 96.1 FM WSBT presents the Irish Illustrated Hour. Featuring the writers from irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester, and Tim O'Malley. Plus, WSBT Radio's Sean Styers. It's time to talk Notre Dame athletics on the Irish Illustrated Hour. And welcome back. Welcome to the latest edition of the Irish Illustrated Hour. I am Sean Styers, along with the two Tims this week, O'Malley and Priester. And uh, with us for the first time is Tim O'Malley. We just we met him before the top of the hour, but if you're just tuning in, Tim, uh, once you um, O'Malley I already did it. We we just talked about it. it's going to be Priester and O'Malley. So O'Malley, give us a little rundown on you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Well timed after uh, being able to see some open practice time with the media on the weekend and. I grew up here in South Bend in the Athletic and Convocation Center in the old stadium. So uh, as a 95 Notre Dame grad, I'm kind of waiting for those days to come back where uh, losses were a big surprise. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It'd make things easier for everybody, I think, wouldn't it? Especially when you guys running a, a website, it's it's like everyone is 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 on edge with every loss. There's an they? angst level that existed oh, last year. Winning, yeah, winning a- is good for business. <laughs> Absolutely, can't beat it. We're going to talk a lot of football this week. We'd spent the last couple of weeks talking some basketball with the Fighting Irish in the NCAA tournament and the ACC tournament, but it's all football this week. The Fighting Irish were back at practice after being off for spring break the previous week. And so not only were they back at practice, they hosted their annual coaches clinic, which meant you guys got to hear some of the thoughts from a, a lot of different coaches last week as well, including the two new coordinators, Chip Long on the offensive side, Mike Elko on the defensive side. So let's start with the uh, defensive coordinator, Mike Elko. Just some of your thoughts and what you got to hear from him. Friday at the uh, at the clinic, he talked about, his talk was about 45 minutes about <clears throat> ball disruptions, about creating turnovers. And his defenses at Bowling Green and Wake Forest have done a, did an excellent job of that. They also created a lot of sacks, but I just thought it was very interesting to hear him talk about the specifics of creating turnovers. And, you know, I heard you guys on the way in, you and Darren, Sean, and, um, you know, I mean, talking about um, um, emphasizing technique and, and and the importance of fundamentals. I mean, this is spring practice. That, that happens every year. Right. But it is particularly important now because it was overlooked in the previous under the previous defensive coordinator uh brian van gorder that is as opposed to the interim coordinators <laughs> um so you know there's a plan to it you don't just you don't just talk turnovers you work the techniques of creating turnovers and that means if you're a db tackling a receiver you don't tackle every receiver the same way. It depends on how the receiver presents himself to you. If he's turned, if the ball's exposed, and the various drills and terms that they use in order to create turnovers. A hook and glove uh, was one of those, punch the basket, pry the basket. You had to watch 
Elko display the technique of mm -hmm. it. So there is a plan, and and we, I also heard you on the way in here, Sean. Um, you know, talking about um, um, Brian Kelly, using the quote from Brian Kelly about he's confident they're going to bat more passes down to the line at the line of scrimmage and create right. turnovers. He's confident because of what I heard on Friday, because that's how Elko teaches it. Um, you know, he talked about not leaving your feet, jumping up when a quarterback is about ready to throw the football. All that does is throw you off balance. And if he pump fakes, now you're out of the play. So a lot of fundamental work with Elko, which is par for the course in the spring, but really, really important right now for Notre Dame defense. It's where they are right now. They're in this situation where every little thing like this has to be reemphasized. Why do you think that the previous coordinator maybe either got away from it or it was just never as emphasized as it should have been. It, it's probably simplifying it, but Priester has talked about this before. It It's kind of the pro way that you could expect them to do their jobs more. I think sort of, they've been through the college and now they're, they're at this the level. They're the finished product. Right. Whereas high school and college kids are uh, so far away from being that. And right. Mike Elko talked about it. You can't talk about doing something then go out and talk about your scheme. You have to practice what you talked about. You have to bring the film. People always say bring the film room to the field, but you can't bring the film room to the field if you go from the film room and then keep talking about your <laughs> schemes and all the tweaks you're going to make. And obviously it's been, you know, worked ad nauseum that there is too much going on in the Brian Van Gorder defense. They simplified it when Mike Elston came in, but look, this is Mike Elko is famous for doing more with less. And now he's got a lot more than he had before. He does. He will get into the defensive line where, the, where most there is places. less. But yeah, but I, I do want to, <laughs> and, and in line with what you guys are talking about right there, there there's. I want to read a quote. I'll, I'll try to be quick with it from Mike Elko's talk on Friday, okay. and it was this. He first of all, he started by saying, "Look, as a, as a coordinator, you can get exactly what you want, but you have to, you have to practice what you preach." And here is the quote. He said, "So if you stand up and say, I want to be a defensive place with all-out effort, and then the next two hours you proceed to talk about." This blitz and that blitz and this coverage and that coverage. And then the first 30 minutes of practice is walkthroughs on barrels. And you're going over your scheme and this and the other thing. You're not going to get what you want. A lot of people, I put that on our message board for Irish Illustrated. A lot of people said, oh, he took a shot at BVG. He's not taking a shot at BVG, but it certainly is an indirect it, shot. Right. At BVG. Mike Elk is just talking his philosophy. He's um, subtweeting him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that is the essence of why Notre Dame's fundamentals on defense were so poor. It's you saw a difference just by addition from subtraction. Mike Elson had never coordinated a defense. He was recruiting coordinator and linebackers coach. He jumped in, and by the end of the year, even though they were not successful overall, you had his players that were graduating saying. He did a great job. We want him to be the guy. And now they, they went out and they got the correct hire. And Mike Elson is still on staff. And defensive line is is under his guise. And that's going to be important. He's back where he started uh, with Brian Kelly and at Notre Dame. But now it was shocking how, how far they probably have to go. And Mike Elko touched on that. He said, look, this was after practice four. They're through six now. We're nowhere near where we want to be, but right. we shouldn't be anywhere near where we want to be. We're we're getting rid of bad habits. We're learning. He even referenced we're learning how to move in space, which is not something you want to hear as a fan. But I think obviously he's he's talking a little more technically than we're hearing about it. It's we have to learn how to break down and tackle because it's not something we were good at. It's not acceptable to miss that many tackles. Well, and that's something that would happen when you talk about moving in space. That's something that we saw a lot of last year. There would be a guy 
in position to make a tackle, he'd miss a tackle. And then because he missed it, there was no one else in that space, and it turns into a big play. Yeah, I, I don't think that they worked um, on a lot of tackling drills, per se, again, because there's so much emphasis on scheme. But that cannot be overlooked. You have to build from the bottom up. And that's what Mike Elko's doing. Now, one other thing. Now, well, there are a lot of different things, but something, uh, as O'Malley was just talking about, Mike Elko was available to the media Friday morning. And one thing O'Malley asked Elko about was how often he thinks about moving guys around to different positions. And here's what he had to say. Every minute. Every minute. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's we, that's the whole evaluation, right, is, is what can he do? Uh, can he do what we're asking this position to do? How do I tweak the scheme? How do I tweak the positions? How do I, you know what I'm saying? And so, so um, you know, we've had a couple already move. Uh, that'll probably continue at times. Uh, I do think we did a really good job of, of, of trying to do a lot of evaluation through um, film of last year. I mean, we watched practice film. I watched camp film. I watched season film. I mean, I watched a lot of film to try to make sure we got the kids in the right spots. Um, but no, it's not perfect. Watched everything but Netflix to uh, figure it out, <laughs> I guess. But, I mean, one one quick example is uh, Asmir Bilal had been at Rover and then Drew Tranquil was there on Saturday and, and just mixing and matching and, and trying to find the right fits. And there'll be plenty more. It isn't that if you're just a fan of a team, isn't that what you want to hear? That we're going to find out what someone can do well and put them in that spot. And if we're wrong and we can't do it well, we're going to get them out of that. He used the term, we don't want to be married to a mistake. Right. I think a lot of times people think this is my scheme. This is how it's going to happen. This guy won the job and he's going to have to do it. Well, he even mentioned tweaking the scheme. We're at practice number four or five and you're tweaking a scheme to help the, the players that, that you have at your disposal. I think they've done a pretty good job of, you know, he talked about the film evaluation leading up to the spring. I think he's done a really good job of, of finding the right spots. The situation with Tranquil and Bilal, I mean, they they open spring practice with Tranquil at safety because he was really the only experienced guy back there with a voice, right? you know, that, that the other players would respect. So they started there, which you can kind of expect. But he played, Tranquil, that is, played a lot of rover this past week. As we all know, he's better, closer to the football in the line of scrimmage than he is on space. Now, it leaves some inexperience on the back end. But, I, you know, you, there's some talent back there. It's just young talent. And then you have Nick Coleman entering the equation from cornerback to safety, which I think was an excellent move. He was not going to see the light of day at cornerback because cornerback is loaded mm-hmm. with talent. So that's a good move. And, and um, safety's, quote, easier than, than corner. Uh, Coleman's gotten a clean start. He's been working a lot with the first team. It's premature to say that he will be, you know, one of the starting safeties. But that's coming together, and Tranquil certainly. You can accentuate Tranquil's assets much better at the rover than you can at safety. And I think so. it's finding roles for guys that can help you because before the Texas game, which all the Notre Dame fans remember when Nick Coleman struggled so badly, we saw open practices in August, and he was very good. He he earned that starting role there. Nick Watkins wasn't available, so that's part of the reason he earned that starting role. But mm-hmm. he can play. He'd lost all confidence after that Texas game. And I think this could put him back in a position to make some plays where, and as Priester said, he, he's not going to beat up the corners they have now. In a real key, Mike Elko coaches the safeties. And, and that's an area where they're very young. So it's a good, a good match for an inexperienced group. Irish Illustrated Hour 717 on this Monday night. We should mention, I meant to mention this at the top of the hour. Starting next week, we'll uh, be here on Wednesdays as opposed 
to Mondays to kind of benchmark Wednesdays from here for the next few Wednesdays anyway. Again, as we get through spring football practice for the Fighting Irish, let's switch to offense now, guys. And Chip Long, and and uh, I think everyone's sort of excited. There's 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 definitely the, the buzzword right now is tempo, but there's other stuff that goes along with that as well. There's a lot to like right now in offense. I think if if you were at practices this past week. You could just talk about offense the entire time because <laughs> yes. they, they, they did it. You know, let's, it's to be expected. They're, they're really installing a totally new defense. It's, it is a bit of a new offense, but it's, it's not an overhaul like it is defensively. So you would expect the offense to be ahead, but they're also ahead because I think their line is much better than the defense's line. And there's a lot of skill position and talent on the offense. Well, and you have a, you have a veteran offensive line returning. And, and I, you know, I think the strength and conditioning has really, really benefited that group. I think you see a um, a trimmed-down version of that. I think there's an expectation that you're going to look at these guys after a couple months of winter conditioning, and they're you know suddenly going to be a lot bigger and, and stronger, which will happen in time. That will happen this summer. But first and foremost, you had to trim the body fat because I, I, that was not addressed in many instances. And when I heard a couple of the body fat measurements of the offensive line. I'm not even going to repeat them. They're so outrageous. <laughs> that has that has changed. You can clearly see, and I'm not necessarily saying that Mike McGlinchey was one of those guys, but you can you can clearly see that Mike McGlinchey is a trimmed down version of himself. Well, and th- this is on the other side of the ball, but since we're talking strength and conditioning, I mean, seeing Jerron Jones at Pro Day walking around in his in his Under Armour last week, I think he could have benefited from a little bit more intense. Can, uh, strength and conditioning. No doubt. He he certainly was hampered by knee and, and, and foot injuries, which prevented him from conditioning, uh, you know, the way he needed to. But, Jer- Jer- hey, Tim, what, Jer- O'Malley, uh, Jerron would have loved these off the, off-season conditioning drills, wouldn't he? Yeah, Jerron might have taken a while to get used to the, uh, <laughs> the new approach of this one. Uh, I, I don't think he minded the time off. And the, but he actually lamented the fact that he, he mentioned his younger brother, Jameer, will be a sophomore this year, and he said, Jameer's looks great, and right. it's, it, it, he's really taking to the new. Uh, yeah, Jerron can't talk too much about approach in the strength and conditioning because no. it took him a couple of years to really get there himself. But it, it, you can tell the difference. And, and let's be fair, you often see guys come back after playing their last game. In this case, it was November off, and sometimes it's January when there's a bowl game. And they look huge two and a half months later. It happened mm-hmm. to Harrison Smith. It happened to Robert Hughes. They're not going to class. All they're doing is training somewhere off-site. So you do get a little bit bigger when it's your job all of a sudden. But but someone, and not not completely with, with the uh, strength and conditioning side, but when you talk about a guy like Du Treadway who's going to be get, getting some opportunities, does it remind you a little bit of, of the Jerron Jones uh, kind of coming up? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, a fair comparison. I, both came to Nordin with a long, long way to go and a lot to right. learn about fo- football and do Treadway. When I watched high school film, I watched him in an all-star game of do Treadway. I saw a, a great frame with some athleticism and a guy that had no idea how to play football. Mm-hmm. And he pretty much arrived at Notre Dame that way. And then, you know, first year he had, well, he had injuries last yeah. year. Um what did tell me? Remind me again what Elston said of of Du Treadway. Called him a was it a big lump of putty? It was a compliment in that he could be molded. He wasn't saying right. that that's the body conditioning. He a has lump a, of clay. Big, yeah, big, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. used clay. putty though. Is the unfortunate. <laughs> he thing. has a long, long way to go. The the real loss this this spring is Elijah Taylor, who 
suffer the Liz Frank injury in right. his foot, and that can be a long, long recovery, as we saw with with Jerron Jones. That's a big loss because that was a young guy that was coming on. But it's it's relevant because you bring up Duke Treadway. He is actually now in that two deep rotation as of this point in the spring because Elijah Taylor's out, so they need him to step up. Uh, I think he gets it quicker than Jerron Jones did. That is one. That's okay. one comp. Our comparison I would make for Duke Treadway. I think he knows now. And we were talking to Jerron Jones when he got her his first chance, and he was probably he was thrown in there because of two injuries to Lewis Nix and Kona Schwenke. Previously, he was on the scout team, and he didn't think he'd see the light of day. He admitted it, and all of a sudden, he's starting on Senior Day in 2014. Right. I will say that I think Jerron Jones has more talent than <laughs> his arms don't yeah. stop. That, I mean, he, he he is a more talented player than Duke Treadway. Let's uh, jump back over to the offense again real quick. And uh, being a a tempo offense doesn't mean it's going to be pedal to the metal all the time. Chip Long talked about it over, uh, well, last week as well, about how he can change tempo during a game. I mean, I'm not going to go fast and lose us a game, you know. The the situation dictates it, so I have the ability to, you know, slow it down without the kids knowing we're trying to do that with shifts, motions, different cadences and whatnot, so I can dictate that. But then I can also get us going even faster. So, you know, we have that in the offense and just teaching that to the guys. But I never want to have a case where they think I'm trying to slow it down, so we'll get them out of their rhythm. Notice him saying I and I'm going uh-huh. to. I mean, that he has taken ownership of the offense. And that's why when people say, you know, uh, Brian, they're concerned about whether Brian Kelly will usurp those responsibilities from long. I mean, he's a head coach and it is his offense and they do mesh offensively. So he's entitled to, uh, you know, make those contributions. But it's, it's going to be chip long. Uh, time of possession obviously doesn't matter. This is something long talked about Friday during the coaches' clinic. It's, you know, how many plays Notre Dame runs as opposed to time of possession because it is up-tempo. He talks about the importance of avoiding turnovers because every time you turn the ball over, you lose eight eight to ten plays, mm-hmm. um, you know, depending upon where it happened within the series. So I thought it was interesting him talking about tempo and how he can control the tempo without the players really knowing it. He can do some nuance-type things that, uh, determine whether they're speeding it up or slowing it down, pulling it back a little bit. So this sounds like a, that's why I say that, that doesn't sound like your typical 33-year-old coach. This is a very mature guy who has a very specific plan and has a lot of confidence in executing And it. he's got some weapons at his disposal because at, at Memphis, he had a very tight end, running back, heavy passing attack. They uh-huh. actually caught twice as many passes as were attempted to Notre Dame's tight ends and running backs. Last year, they scored twice as many touchdowns. Now, Notre Dame was missing Alizé Jones. That would not have been the statistic had they had their best tight end. But he has weapons because with with Alizé Jones and a fifth-year senior, Durham Smythe, and I think the breakout guy for anybody at practice this weekend was a running back, Tony Jones. He's a redshirt right. freshman. The good news is he's not the best running back on the team because Josh Adams is. But mm-hmm. it's there's just more talent that he has in these two positions. And Chip Long can't talk about how much more talent he has in these positions than he had in previous <laughs> stops. Coaches don't do that type of thing before they've won a game. But... He's, I'm sure he would admit it in close quarters. Well, and I, I think when he, uh, at his introductory, when, when he came and talked to the media, he, he mentioned it a few times there. It's like, we can get these big guys here that we couldn't get it right, other Regarding places. the offensive line, that's where he specifically said, man, I'm not, I'm not accustomed to having an offensive line like this. And so, I mean, I think that's a real positive, too, because he seems to indicate a more physical brand of football mm-hmm. with, a, with a better offensive line and that. I think most Notre Dame fans would agree with something that's kind of been lacking from the offense. Well, and and 
talking to Autry Denson the other day, too, just talking to him about that run first. I mean, he got this huge smile on his face. I mean, the running backs are, are loving that idea, too. He had to bite his lip a little when uh, they, <laughs> they talked about the old days. Somebody asked Denson if uh, if taking time off from practice is better. He said, no, you condition your body to get hit. You become numb to hits, <laughs> and you become used to taking hits, and you get stronger as the season goes on. And then he realized that's not the approach anyone in football takes anymore. But you can see he kind of missed the days of uh, – Running back heavy offenses. Well, and you want to talk the good old days for running backs. Uh, running backs under Lou Holtz, they got plenty of carries. That's that's very <laughs> true. They spread it out a little bit, but they got a lot of carries. They are going to throw the football more to the running backs. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. They, they certainly have some guys that can go vertical with Equinemius St. Brown and Chase Claypool, but I think you also see more of a horizontal passing game, too, in, in incorporating the running backs. And we saw some of that on sure. Saturday. Yeah, there was very a lot so. of short passes Saturday, yeah. but also a lot of stuff out in the flat and coming out of the backfield. And the short passes work great when you have speed outside because otherwise... Mm-hmm. A good defense is just going to start bottling you up. But, look, we're talking about all these new guys. Equinemius St. Brown is the best wide receiver on this team. We didn't even notice him during the practice. He didn't have a great day. But it, it's when you have get proven guys like that and guys coming up behind him like Chase Claypool, if Notre Dame fans haven't seen a lot of Chase Claypool other than covering kicks last year, you are in for a treat with his athleticism. And all these guys are in the 6'5", 230 range. Yeah. It just makes for a more physical attack when you're – what, he might be a wide he'll probably will be a wide receiver, an outside wide receiver that's six five, two thirty. And and the two tight ends and two running backs often it, it naturally dictates he'd be a little bit more physical. We'll see more of the two tight ends as opposed to, you know, Chris Fink did a nice job at the, the Z position, but wouldn't you rather have Elise Jones in that spot <laughs> with Durham Smythe and I we saw this this past weekend. I mean the size at receiver with Claypool and St. Brown and Smythe and, and Elizabeth Jones. Elizabeth Jones is a, I, I don't know how you match up against a guy mm-hmm. like that because now he is legitimately uh, tight end size, but he plays like a wide receiver. That is a nightmarish matchup for future opponents. 727, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll continue talking some offense, but we'll talk specifically about the new quarterback. Is he the number one quarterback? Brandon Wimbush? I don't think too many people have any questions, but we'll talk about that in just a moment when the Irish Illustrated Hour continues on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. This is the Irish Illustrated Hour on Michiana's Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. Featuring the writers from irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Plus WSBT Radio's Sean Styers. 7.32 as the Irish Illustrated Hour continues on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1. WSBT, I'm Sean Styers along with the Tims, O'Malley and Priester. We talked some offense and some defense in the first segment of the show. And uh, so now, after the better part of two seasons with Deshaun Kaiser as the starter, Brandon Wimbush is running as the number one signal caller this spring. O'Malley, you were just talking about how uh, Deshaun Kaiser was talking about kind of still staying in touch quite a bit with Brandon Wimbush. Yeah, we saw Deshaun Kaiser after his pro day, and we kind of mentioned, you know, do you still get a chance to talk to me? He said he talks to him weekly. And Wimbush is trying to absorb everything. Wimbush mentioned he learned a lot from both Kaiser and Zaire, how they handled disparate situations, obviously, last year. 
Kaiser mentioned if he keeps talking to me, I'll be his biggest fan. He was kind of a joke. Like, if he stops talking to me, I won't be. But, no, he's they seem to uh, have a good back and forth. One thing that I'd like to hear, even though we all know it's pretty much Wimbush's job with Ian Book as the backup right now, Wimbush says he's got to earn the job. Yeah, it's definitely a blend of what Coach Kelly had for us and what he was running here for the past six years and then, obviously, what Chip is bringing in new. And it's day four. It's, it's really early. And um, I think we're on track right now, and I think we're at a, a good spot in the spring to be where we want to be at the end of the spring. So um, my knowledge of the offense, I think, is, is at a pretty good point where I can help out the other guys who, you know, are not up to the par where I'm at right now. I mean, a huge difference is the tempo of the offense and the conditioning that we have to sustain to be able to run it efficiently. And uh, I think we've done a great job of implementing the culture and through the first three months of winter training and what Coach Bayless has built um, for us to be able to go out there and, and run chips offense efficient, efficiently. Well, and that's Wimbush talking about the offense and it was asked really, are there many differences between the old and the new? And really, it doesn't seem like there are. Certainly, they're obviously... Other more, than the tempo. Yeah, I mean, the tempo is huge. I think some, you know, just some nuances in the play calling. But, look, Brandon Wimbush was ready for this. I mean, talk about hitting the ground running. Uh, he has every physical skill you could possibly ask for. They're, right, Tim? It sounds I mean, like he's 20 going on 34, Yeah, too. I mean, the his maturity. maturity it's, I, I said to Mike Burch from Northern the other day, back-to-back quarterbacks, Deshaun Kaiser, Brandon Wimbush, in terms of maturity, it's just totally off the chart on the collegiate level. He's, uh, I had joked about his job security. He he's he's saying the right things, but Brandon Wimbush, seeing his athletic gifts, seeing how he approaches the game and his dedication, he's the starter. Now, whenever anybody asks us how he looks, the answer is always he looks great because we won't know until the bullets go live and they're trailing by seven in the fourth quarter of game number two because that's when you test a quarterback. So that's what he had to say about Chip Long's offense. So now let's hear what Chip Long has to say about his new quarterback, the guy that he's got coming in this year, Brandon Wimbush. You know, he, he's a willing learner. You know, he's very coachable. Um, he does a great job of applying what we go over in the meeting room, um, cleaning up his mistakes from the first day, and, and uses athleticism to, his, to, his, to help him out. And um, But he, he's done a good job with his leadership, trying to take control. All the quarterbacks have him up in What's he need to work on? Everything. Everything. <laughs> Keep growing. Keep growing. I mean, he just, he can't get enough reps. He can't get enough guys flashed in front of his face, you know. So, I mean, that's why we're, we're out there working. But uh, he's doing, that whole group's doing a tremendous job. When you go out to practice, you don't, you're not standing there saying, well, you know, wow, look at the young quarterback. You don't, you don't think of him in those terms. And as O'Malley said, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when he has to decipher, you know, coverages in, in, a, right. in a game situation. But physically, he he has everything you need. He did a he did a read option the other day and hit the edge. And I've compared him athletically to Tony Rice. I mean, he is a Tony Rice type player at quarterback, only certainly much more capable uh, uh, passer of the football. And again, though, bring it up. When you're going to games, there's no peer in terms of leader between Tony Rice and anyone. It, it, right in Notre Dame, that you've covered in Notre Dame history, Tony yeah. Rice is a leader. It's just so for Brandon Wimbush, athletically gifted, athletically great, seems mature. It's different when there's competition going on, but he's not a guy Notre Dame fans should worry about right now. There, there is probably a drop off from Brandon Wimbush to if it has to be a redshirt freshman in Ian Book, if it has to be a former walk on in Montgomery Van Gorder, even though he's been here a while, and if it has to be incoming freshman Avery Davis, I think that's a concern. But the main concern 
really isn't under center. No, it's on the and, other side of center. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when we see a more horizontal offense, that's good for a young quarterback too, right? Because, you know, you don't know exactly how he's going to decipher things downfield. So anything that, that emphasizes the width of the field for a young quarterback in particular is good. Really, with the exception of Saturday where we got to see a full two hours of practice, it's only been really brief snapshots so far. Anything that you've seen at all that you would call a concern right now? Defensive line. I, I, no, I meant, I meant as far as Brandon Wimbush oh, goes. Brent, uh, <laughs> there's not two of them. Uh, just that he yeah. Does, yeah, yeah, there's not two of them and just that he doesn't have the experience. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing he can do about that right. until September. Yeah, I think uh, I like the way the offensive line looks. I think a move we talked about a couple months ago on the website was that Alex Barris, who started at right tackle, basically because he had to. We talked to offensive line coach Harry Heastan last spring, and he said, I think Barris would be ideally fit at guard, but he's got to play tackle for our football team. He did. The offensive line had plenty of struggles last year. We'll find out how much of that was tied to strength and conditioning. But Barris has moved inside where we both think he belongs. That means there's going to be a redshirt freshman starter on the right side, but both of them have the pedigree in Liam Eikenberg and Tommy Kramer, and that's probably a four-month battle going on. Yeah, that they're alternating getting first-team reps on a, on a every-other-day basis. Right. Um, Kramer is the bigger body, which is why he may project long-term to guard, but right now he's battling for that spot. Eikenberg is a little bit sleeker, a little bit more mobile, a little bit better pass blocker, so depending upon what you want at that position. And that was kind of what it sounded like Brian Kelly was alluding to a right. little bit Saturday afterwards is when, when he talked about the different the, the length, I think, that Eichenberg had and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's if I guess you're looking at it, do you want the strength to be pass protection? Or if it's Kramer and he can pass protect almost as well as Eichenberg, but he's bigger, does that make you more physical? What, what are you looking for? From- right. Let's get back to Wimbush a little bit. He... Uh, Talked about himself a little bit and where he thinks that he's most confident in himself. And here's what he had to say. My ability to make plays when things break down in the pocket. And uh, I think that would be a huge asset for not only myself, but as well as the, you know, the offensive line who maybe miss a block or whatnot. And then I have the guys and the receivers out there to make plays for me as well as myself getting outside the pocket. His explosiveness when things break down is just really, really special. Mm-hmm. And I thought having watched him, you know, really two full practices Friday and Saturday, when he missed throwing the football, it was either dropped or overthrown. And that's a good trait to have. That's uh, true. I mean, not the drops, but <laughs> only what uh, obviously Brandon Wimbush can, can control. And overthrows are way better than throwing it up for grabs. Especially the overthrows that I saw. The, the, the couple that that I remember were both a little bit longer to the left, and they sailed out of bounds. Right, and I, I don't think it was coincidence. I mean, I think that that's what he's shooting for. That's the best way to stay out of trouble. Yeah, he's got some big targets. Yeah, <laughs> that too. It's 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 amazing to watch. You you mentioned Chris Fink. We all love Chris Fink and the way he can get open. He is as quick as they get, but it's different when you're as quick as you get and you're five ten hundred and something. And Alizé Jones is a six foot five future pro playing the same position. So guys like Fink and C.J. Sanders and everybody can carve out a role, but when you can impose your will with future pro athletes like they have in L.S.A. Jones and maybe Chase Claypool. Now, Chase Claypool is not the finished product, not that L.S.A. Jones is a finished product, but I think anyone that will come scout Notre Dame during the year is going to be coming to watch L.S.A. Jones, and they might notice, hey, this guy, Chase Claypool, only a sophomore, 
he's like a uh, sleek bit of putty to mold into a uh, <laughs> mold into a player in the future. I, Go ahead, Tim. Well, Equinemius St. Brown is a guy that, and, and Claypool has a lot of these qualities, but he's just, he hasn't evolved, his game hasn't evolved to the level that uh, EQ has. But St. Brown's ability to separate from the defender when the ball is arriving is really, really special. And a lot of that has to do with his great length, but it also has to do with being a very uh, gifted receiver. And when you can get that kind of separation with that size, you're gonna make a lot of catches downfield. Now, to me, one of the, I guess one of the most on the offensive side of the ball, one of the more dis- besides the offensive line last season, the disappointing thing was the receivers and just the consistency of the receivers. But man, what we've seen so far this spring, there's there's a lot to be. Uh, happy about and then think that we're going to see next fall. Well, when you lose Will Fuller and Chris Brown and Amir Carlisle, which was a very experienced receiving core, it doesn't matter how experienced your quarterback is, Deshaun mm-hmm. Kaiser, you still have to get that mesh with the young receivers. And I think that that had a lot to do with, you know, Deshaun Kaiser was blamed for a lot of that. And, and certainly he shoulders some of the blame. He certainly didn't stay in the physical condition that he should have and, and needed to. But when you have young receiver, when you have old receivers, and when you have Will Fuller, throw it in the area code and he'll catch it. When you have young receivers, you don't know exactly what depth they're going to run their route at, uh, where they're going to break it off, et cetera. So, you know, it was a combination of things last year. Yeah. And, and true or not, Deshaun Kaiser mentioned after the fact and just looking back that he didn't get all the reps in August he wanted to get with the young receivers because he was competing for a starting job with Malik Sayer now. That could be all in retrospect. We probably need to talk to a former quarterback to see if that's something that could really bother you. Just from August, you'd think it might come along. But I, right now, I don't see a reason to be concerned about this wide receiver group. Well, not that, again, not that he looked horrible at Pro Day, but, I mean, there, there was a group of guys that he hadn't thrown with very much either. And I think we saw that come into play a the little bit there last Thursday. The converted defensive tackle. <laughs> the converted right. defensive tackle, two running backs, a student body president, and a uh, converted running back to slot receiver that hadn't uh, caught a pass from You think these here. NFL guys <laughs> realize that that quote-unquote tight end was a guy who, uh, yeah, was a converted? A defensive yeah. tackle who we didn't even play with last year. He was at Ohio yeah, State last exactly. year. Exactly. Chase Hounchell. If people, it was Chase Hounchell, Amir Carlisle, both removed from the team for a year. Corey Robinson removed from the team for a year, mm-hmm. and two running backs. Exactly. And one like, of those running backs is the New England Patriot, Jonas Gray, who's never right. met Deshaun Kaiser until <laughs> this, this month. Again, Mike Birch from Notre Dame uh, mentioned about how hard Corey Robinson worked in preparation for that. He's diving around, hitting the. I mean, this is a guy with concussion That's issues. That's what I was thinking, right? You, that dive that he made downfield. <laughs> yes, yeah. God bless him. What a great kid. No, I know. 744, let's take a timeout. When we come back, we'll talk some more Fighting Irish. We will also talk about our friend who passed away yesterday, Jeff Jeffers. And I know that uh, Darren and uh, Eric and Chuck Freeby talked a little bit about him in the first hour of Sports Beat. But we'll talk about him in just a moment. We have a couple of guys, the O'Malley's, who have both lived here in South Bend, for a long time, so we'll talk about Jeff and some more fighting Irish football when we return on the Irish Illustrated Hour on 96.1 FM WSBT. This is the Irish Illustrated Hour on Michiana's Sports Leader, 96.1 FM WSBT. Featuring the writers from irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley, plus WSBT Radio's Sean Styers. 
7.48 as the Irish Illustrated Hour continues. I'm Sean Styers along with the Tims, O'Malley, and Priester. And uh wanted to make sure that we uh, we mentioned Jeff Jeffers, our friend who passed away yesterday, 40 years at WNDU. And I, I've only lived here for a little more than 16 years, I guess. But you two guys have lived here your whole life. So, I mean... Really, some of those some of those shots that I saw last night on on uh, the news of Jeff from that were obviously back from in the way back in the seventies yeah. and and early eighties. I had never seen any of those before, but you guys kind of grew up seeing a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I you know, I love the guy. I know he suffered for several years yeah. now, and so I'm happy that he's in a better place. But um, he was always, and I saw the tribute that, that WNDU put out, and. Everybody said the same thing that that I want to say, and that is he always treat. You know, here I was a young punk in the business, and he always treated me with respect and 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 gave me respect and encouraged me to keep doing what I was doing. And he did he did that with everybody that he came in, taught, in uh, contact with. And, um, and I coached his son Riley a little bit in baseball, and and uh, I know Leslie well. And you know, my heart goes out to him, but I'm very very happy that. Jeff is in a better place now. I, I grew up watching him, and my my most recent, really, and lasting memory will be we uh, kind of ran into each other sitting down in the lobby at the uh, Sheraton Nashville for the Music City Bowl. And if Notre Dame fans remember, they had lost four straight games, were playing LSU, and pretty big underdogs for Notre Dame in a bowl game. And neither one of us thought Notre Dame was going to win the game. We kind of lamented everything back and <laughs> forth, talking about all the problems they had. And he saw me on the field after the game, and Notre Dame won a last-second field goal, and just had a, a quick line. That's why we're the experts, right, Tim? And I thought to myself, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to be able to laugh at yourself because we missed that one. Well, hey, you know, one of the stories about him that I don't know whether it's here or there, but when John Tenuta came into Notre Dame, he Tenuta immediately gravitated toward Jeffers <laughs> like they were old friends. And I'm like, you know, because Tenuta didn't gravitate to anybody right. in the media. And I'm like, Jeff, what, what's that all about? He says, I have no idea, but he just <laughs> went with it and and was Tenuta's best friend while Tenuta was here. That's a gift, if, if that works out, because <laughs> that right. did not work for others. That's right. <laughs> Jeff and I, my first year here, we, we hosted a radio show together. And uh, so, you know, so we kind of formed a bond, obviously, off of that. And he was big into Notre Dame baseball. And obviously, I used to do the uh, the Irish on the air and of course Tim Priester played Notre Dame baseball but uh, so so Jeff would always offer me critiques of my play by play and so in turn I would offer him critiques of his coffee stains on his shirt from time to time <laughs> <laughs> that was our that was our love for one another but uh, it was of course in good fun and he was I mean that guy. His love for Notre Dame football. I mean, in the press box, if Notre Dame was not playing well, that guy would get so wound up <laughs> and uptight. You could not talk to him afterwards if if uh, they did have a bad game. But we all love Jeff, and we're going to miss Jeff a lot. And I think you said it best, Mr. Priester, is that uh, he is in a better place now because he was suffering for a long time, unfortunately. But uh, let's uh, let's let's finish up talking about something that, that Jeff love to talk about and and would love to hear us talking about and that's some football and we've got just a few minutes left and there is uh there's a lot of of promise on this team but specifically when we look at the uh, defensive side of the ball there's a lot of questions as well yeah there are issues on the defensive line and you know since Sheldon Day and Romeo Carr walk, walked out the door there have been issues up front and 
And I don't know where the answers are. I, I tell you what, no, I do. The answers are in Mike Elko's scheme because obviously he didn't have great talent in Wake Forest, but they had over 40 sacks this past season. And that's where they're going to have to create sacks and pressure with scheme because, you know, Jay Hayes is the most talented of that group, but he's very inexperienced. Uh, did I say Jay or Dalen? D- Dalen Hayes, yeah. Dalen Hayes is the most talented, but he's the least experienced. Brian Kelly even said they have to play through his mistakes mm-hmm. because he's one of their better players. Jay Hayes, big body, senior with two years of eligibility, um, you know, a guy with some promise. But Jerry Tillery hasn't produced up to this point. Uh, Andrew Trombetti has not. Jonathan Bonner, kind of a smaller tweener guy inside. And the backups all, all, are all young and... You know, many of them didn't come on, come in with much fanfare. So it's a it's a rough group right now. I think they have a really good second and third string defensive line, but the problem is they're playing first and second string with those guys. Yeah. In other words, if they had some front line guys, you'd love the depth of guys like Dalen Hayes and Jay Hayes <laughs> right. and Jerry Tillery, without even being too sarcastic, and Jonathan Bonner. But that's the first string line right now, and they all have to take a giant leap forward. And then the second string line all has to take a giant leap forward. And we painted a pretty rosy picture about the offense. It's it's less so, and there's plenty of time. There's four months left, but it, it's a much less rosy picture up front. This is a pretty important spring, I would think. For, I mean, for all of them, but for Jerry Tillery, this is a guy who's he's got all this experience now, and, and he's shown flashes, but really inconsistent to this point. Mike Elson talked about how he thinks that it's important to Jerry Tillery now. You know, there's a, he's got a lot of interest in, in, in that respect, very similar to Corey Robinson, a lot of interest outside of football. But, man, they need a tough, tenacious, gap-creasing defensive tackle that's mm-hmm. six six and a half over 300 pounds. And we don't know if he's going to be that. In fact, odds are that he won't be based upon what we've seen up to this point. But guys get better, and I think that if he's committed to it, he has – the physical tools, but man, they need him to be a big time presence between the ends. And he's probably the guy with the most promise just because he's an upperclassman, right? I mean, right. Jerry, this will be his third year as a starter inside. They asked a lot of him when he had to start because Jerron Jones was lost two years ago when he was a true freshman. This should be his time. I think sometimes we could be a little hard on a guy because they don't make great strides through their sophomore year. This would be the time he where he does have half his collegiate career left. Right. Yes. And I think he, and he's obviously a physical specimen. So yeah. it, it's, it's a lot of it is if he wants to be great or if he wants to be pretty good. Love the linebackers. Love the corners. Great depth there. Yep. Uh, Julian Love and, and Nick Watkins are, could, could be really, really good starting corners. And, we're, and Sean Crawford's not even, you know, in full contact. And you have some other young guys there, Dante Vaughn and, and Troy Pride. But. D-line is real key. It's You don't win championships without a quality D-line. So this team is not going to win a championship, obviously, but not this year anyway. I think you have some freshmen coming in. Darnell Ewell, uh, Myron Tagovailoa, um, Kurt, Kurt Heinish, you know, Heinish. But, man, I tell you what, you, you've got some issues there that have to be solved. And thank God Mike Elko's here because he does more with less better than just about anybody else. Yep, and I guess that's the, the bright spot right now when we look at what happens next year. 7.55, take our final time out and then back to wrap things up on the Irish Illustrated Hour. Sean Styers and the two Tims, O'Malley and Priester Irish Illustrated Hour getting ready to wrap up here on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. We will remind you that next week, We will be on Wednesday, April 5th, and we'll be on Wednesday from here on out for uh, 
the rest of, well, into April, not the rest of April. It's not April yet. Real quick, some quick hitters, guys. What do you got? Obviously, we're looking for the defensive line to make improvement over the last 10 practices. Really happy with the offensive line and where they're going. They kind of carved up that D-line a little bit the other day. and I mean, that's a positive. you got to be strong on both sides of the ball in the trenches. I think the offensive line is trending upward. I'd like, like to see the safety position crystallize a little bit. I know that they had to use Drew Tranquil back there for communication purposes. That's not a great sign. It's understandable because everybody else back there is either Nick Coleman moving over or two young guys. So you'd like to see them kind of get something going there where you, you might have an idea of who your top two and three are. Wouldn't we be more disappointed if the defensive line was whipping the offensive line around right now? Well, that's probably true, but <laughs> it's not happening. It's better so. to right. complain about punters than either line. That's the key. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they have a good one, though. All right, guys. Great time tonight. We will talk to you next week. Again, next Wednesday, Irish Illustrated Hour on WSBT.